Welcome to Imaging of Things, from mind to page, an inside look into the printing industry. Welcome to the Imaging of Things, a show that focuses on giving fun, informative insight into the evolving world of print, packaging and beyond. I'm your host, Nick Benkovich, the prophet of print and packaging. And yes, the accent is real, as is the conversation you're about to hear. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn about the amazing world of printing. Today, we're going to be discussing diversification and growth when it comes to your business with my guest, Kirk Schlecker, president of HEDA. After having a run of working with a number of top print and fulfillment companies in Chicago, Kirk joined HEDA in January of 2014 and led them to be the first commercial printer in the United States to successfully install two of Ricoh's latest inkjet presses. He's a frequent panelist at industry events on software and inkjet technology, all while managing the company's operational, manufacturing activities, sales, customer service, and information technology teams. Mr. Kirk Schlecker, everyone. All right. My guest this week is Mr. Kirk Schlecker, the president of Heater. Kirk is uh, actually someone I had a chance to meet a few years ago. Um, and I was super impressed with Kirk when I first met him. Uh, we, we definitely had that kindred spirit, that same vibe about the vision of, of the long-term growth and sustainability of the industry. So, Kirk, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, um, you're originally from Chicago and you, you work for some pretty major players out in the Chicago market. So, how does a young guy like you end up in Pittsburgh of all places? Well, I think there's a trend of people leaving Illinois, firstly. You know, it's a big city, lots of taxes. Uh, so I think one of the primary drivers was uh, just to slow down and uh, raise kids in a, a less hectic environment. <laughs> yeah, great plan. So um, I understand that, you know, uh, heat is a, a pretty happening kind of business, lots going on. But um, also understand that outside of work, you got a couple of little hobbies, quite the fisherman and uh, a little bit of a shooter as well. So is this how you escape the craziness of work? It is. Yeah. Fishing is something I took up uh, as a kid, obviously. But as I got older, I started to learn that I needed a hobby away from work. And when I'm on the water, people contact me via text. And that's about <laughs> it. And sometimes I'm out of cell phone range totally. So it's a good good escape. I, I love that. I love the yeah. uh, the out of cell phone contact. Uh, the unfortunate thing of technology is we're just constantly contactable. Yeah. You know, there's no more nine to five, Monday to Friday. We're always available. Yes, especially in the print industry. Absolutely. Yep. So um, the podcast uh, theme is the imaging of things, and and Heater appears to be that sort of that that one stop shop for the imaging of things. So, what was the strategic direction that that sort of led Heater away from being a, a commercial printer to being that one stop shop? And is that the trend for the future? It is the trend for the future. Certainly, um, you've got good customers that you can turn into great customers. They lead you down a good path. You get some contracts and then you invest. And we've done all of that very, very well. We've, we're growing our contracts. We're getting contracts re-extended and uh, we're getting new customers that uh, want to do business with us. Excellent. So is it buy the machine, find the customer and the market, or is it find the market, buy the machine or a bit of both? It'd be nice to uh, you know build it and they would come, but that's also risky. Yep. We've done some of that. Sometimes it turns out well, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but the key is good customers lead us down the right path and, you know, we get better as they have more needs. 
They get better as we fulfill those needs. So it's a win-win for uh, our sales folks, our operations folks, and especially the customers. Excellent. I know that uh, Heater provides mailing services, um, and I'm going to touch on this in, a, in another podcast, but I, I want to just ask you, mailing services, do you, do you see that as a growing part of your business? It absolutely is, yeah. Why is mailing suddenly so interesting to people? I thought mailing was dead. Everybody emails stuff now, don't they? No, no. I mean, I, do, you, do you trust half the things that you see in your email? No. <laughs> absolutely no, not. I, I think we trust things that show up in the mailbox much more than any other media out there. You know, I, I, I love getting coupons. Um, I love getting offers. I love seeing things, pictures, catalogs, all that good stuff. I think the internet is a place that you just waste time these days versus, you know, if just imagine if we still had that JCPenney catalog, <laughs> how many times we'd flip through it or, you know, Bass Pro Shop catalog. I still get it. But, you know, all these things just drive you to the web and the web gets kind of boring. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, many people are starting to see the internet as the, the spray and prey of marketing. It's, it's not the, the targeted demographics that, that we really can do in mailing, you know, down to the, the audience of one, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I also noticed that uh, recently Hater made an acquisition out uh, in the Ohio area. Uh, so, so what drove that? Is it uh, geographic reach? Is it, you know, more customers? Is it capabilities? Was it a, combination of all the above all the above so it's you know we've always had desires to grow through acquisition and in in addition to the organic growth that we've been seeing since i've been here for almost eight years but the acquisition was just really really good timing Uh, we've been talking to that the printer up there for some years probably five years and the timing was just never right but the goal is to convert that facility into uh, digital mailing and fulfillment uh, we've got a facility currently that is is that, and we believe that it can be a mirror of our facility here. Uh, business resiliency is is fantastic confidence booster for our customers, as well as you know having that facility specialized in cer- certain things that either bog us down here in Pittsburgh or things that we don't want to get into uh, for certain reasons. So it's great space. They've got great equipment. They've got good people. They also have some really good customers that we think that we can make things happen with technology. You sort of hit my next point. Um, so technology, one of the things that really impressed me, um, you know, I've been touring printing plants for 30 years and, you know, often they're not the cleanest, neatest, most tech savvy kind of places. It's certainly changing, but uh, I see Heater being a big investor in technology. How much does technology play a part in your ability to grow? Technology is one of the drivers. So, you know, the thing that we reference is people, process, and technology. Technology has really um, been a major driver uh, in us winning work. Um, There's a lot of companies out there that do the same things that we do, but do it manually. We like to touch something once and it's in the system versus, you know, having disparate you know, systems, whether they're fulfillment, whether they're storefronts, mail processing, you know, we're into automation. We have a a good IT staff, uh, many more IT resources than the traditional commercial printer would. Yep. They pay for themselves because they're billable, which is fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're focused on solving problems with 
technology and the systems that the technology allows us to follow the processes. Yeah. And I, I love that. That's, you know, I always say that nobody wakes up in the morning and says, damn, I've got a lot of money in my bank account. I should go spend some. They're looking to solve a problem, a, a business problem. How do I touch my customers? How do I communicate with them? How do I get a product to market faster? And it seems like your driver is around that. It's about solving business problems. Yeah. You know, we, uh, We've grown quite a bit over the last eight years, and we actually have less headcount than we did when I first started here. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. So, so revenue's gone up, and staff count has gone down. Correct. Yep. So, are you running a sweatshop, or are you just people super efficient and using technology well? <laughs> well, it, these days with COVID, it's hard to get employees in the first place. So, I think the process that we followed is really benefiting us much more than others. It's tough to even find drivers. We can't find drivers. We can't find bindery operators. The the labor is getting more senior as as we go. Uh, people are retiring. People are leaving early. So I think it's worked out well for us. It wasn't the intention. We nobody expected a COVID, right? Or you know the government to be incentivizing people not to necessarily have to work. But that's where we are, and uh, you know we're we're using our systems to get things through the shop faster. As they say, never waste a good crisis. So uh, it seems like yeah. you're uh, turning it into something positive for your business. Yep. So I, I did notice that uh, you have a HIPAA certification. Um, big part of your business is the healthcare industry. Yeah. Uh, do you see that being a, a growth market for you? Absolutely, yeah. So we were awarded high trust certification as of December of last year. And it was something that we wanted to get years ago. Uh, we did SOC 2 type 2 prior to that. And that was kind of the baby step. Yep. Uh, but high trust certification was difficult to get. It took us over a year to get it. And we started it right before COVID. <laughs> so, you know, if our IT kids had nothing to do, well, they could focus on getting ready for an audit. It was, you know, months down the road. So it worked out well. And we definitely believe that's going to qualify us for new opportunities in the healthcare space. And you know, high trust is so difficult to get in the first place. Yep. I think it lends, it lends itself well to other verticals, uh, not just the, the health care, health insurance market, but, you know, the financial, the retail, anything that's got high levels of personalization, customization. You know, it answers all the, all the questions that uh, internal auditors, that big customers are going to ask. And did you learn things through that process? Did you learn things about your organization that, that helped you generally improve the business, not just to get the certification, but generally improve your processes? Yeah. It, I mean, it really helps us with streamlining uh, servers and databases. You know, it takes a lot of the risk out of a, a normal business environment. Uh, so that's definitely helped. It also is disallowed some of the, the old school antics that employees and uh, sales folks would would typically do to, you know, create a shortcut for themselves that was maybe more efficient for them to get a job into the shop, but it it might have created a, cer a security risk. Right. So it, uh, it definitely has helped the business operate cleaner and much more secure, which I think is very important. You know, if, you know, all the malware out there and the the hoax emails that you get, you know, this has really, really locked down our systems uh, and it prevents us from uh, being exposed uh, by some of the employees that don't mean to cause harm, but, you know, open a bad email. It's, it's 
as we all know what's happening out there with you know the the gas line that got hacked yeah um, you know the the meat industry got hacked those are all catastrophic events uh, we're already dealing with a catastrophic event of covid yeah um, it's no good to have employees sitting there idle yeah, absolutely. And, and without malice, so, you know, the, as they say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, you know, nobody's doing it deliberately, but, but you're putting in systems that avoid it at all costs. Absolutely. I want to touch quickly on people. You know, you said that finding people is a struggle. And, you know, where do you get those skilled people? You know, as you diversify the business, you know, do you look to to train those people internally from you know, existing staff for new skills or do you look to go outside to get those skills? You know, it's really tough to go outside and get the skills. You know, we're uh, printing is not huge in Pittsburgh. You know, I come from Chicago and there's a laundry list of employees that that have I used to work with that could be available. And it's not so much here in Pittsburgh. So we've certainly focused on training employees. Um, there's some state sponsored training uh, that we can apply for. We uh, use our vendors a lot. Uh, we actually use uh, EFI quite a bit uh, for training our employees, especially the new ones. Uh, we had a session last week on, on print stream. Um, so it's key that we have a, a major focus on training our employees. You know, some of our customer service folks are coming right out of college with zero industry knowledge <laughs> uh, training. You know, our our scheduling person came right out of college with no print experience. Wow. And a year later, she's scheduling three facilities and it's the automated, you know, print flow scheduling and she's doing great. So there's no reason why some of these uh, college kids can't work in the print industry. Um, we all know that it's not the sexy place to go work. <laughs> Definitely not sexy. Yeah. Nobody, uh, when they, when they go around the classroom and they say, what would you like to do? I'm sure fireman comes up still. And, you know, there's probably a lot of professions, IT professions. I guess there's probably not a people, a lot of people who say, gee, I want to go work in the print business. Right. And, you know, the training does great. Uh, it also creates a, a comfortable environment where people aren't, challenge to know everything the first day. They know they're going to go through training. They know that they're going to learn through osmosis. They're going to shadow folks out in the production area. So that's key. Uh, but you got to get them to feel comfortable uh, when they're fresh out of school or, or not familiar with our industry uh, before things get tough. And things do get tough in the print industry. We get busy. Yep. We're really busy right now. We It's kind of all hands on deck. And it's tough to find labor right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I like the fact that you, you're bringing in and, and training, uh, you know, even going back to my early days, I remember 20 years ago going into a shop and uh, being asked to teach someone in position. And the first thing I did was open up a, a flat sheet and the guy turned his head upside down and I thought, this is going to be a long day because he just didn't understand that how printing gets done and folding gets done and stitching gets done. And, you know, we, uh, I think those of us that have been around a while, we sort of just take it for granted that everybody knows this stuff. You would be amazed how many people do not know how to use a ruler. <laughs> I am so serious on that. Yeah. Something as simple as that, you would, again, we just take for granted it was the way we were brought up. Um, you know, I, I'm constantly amazed that, you know, kids can't do math in their head. Uh, you know, um, it astounds me, but, uh, yeah. It's a challenge that we have in the industry, and it's certainly going to, to keep us there. So 
As you as you look back at the the eight years that you've been at uh, Heater, uh, what was the the piece of machinery that you invested in, or the piece of technology, software, hardware, the thing that you invested in that you thought would have a reasonable return on investment, but just blew you away in terms of return on investment? I think it's probably two things. Um, you know, we we got into inkjet web printing in 2015. And uh, with an expectation of running a certain amount of uh, linear feet per month, and now we're like five times that number uh, on a certain month. So I think Inkjet Web has really driven us uh, into a great vertical of direct mail, as well as book work. So I think that's a major driver. And then I think uh, a close number two is just consolidating our technology offerings into things that are able to talk to each other. Yeah. I think uh, there's a lot of efficiency and it's not really measurable. Uh, you know, the only measurement that we can go off of is, is that we, we don't have to hire new people to do new things. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, working in the software business for a long time, it's the, the thing that I always call the soft cost. You know, you, you sit around and you say, how many production meetings do you have a day? How many times do you have to go and ask someone for a piece of information? How many times are you walking down to the shop floor? It's, it's all that wasted time. And the thing that I always love is when I ask people, do they have an automated workflow? They'll show me their automated workflow. Oh, here's where our customer goes online and they can purchase the print. And then what happens? Well, we print out a PDF of the job ticket and we print out uh, the invoice. And then we take that to this other system and we enter it again. And so what they really have is N islands of automation. They don't really have an end-to-end workflow per se. Right, right. And then work, it, it, that's tough to do in our environment, but it's totally possible. We've got, we've got a couple processes that we get files in from a customer. They sign off on it and it shows up in to the press within 30 minutes. Nobody touches it. Um, you know, it's not lights out where the press will start up at 5 a.m. and run the job, but it's pretty darn close. It, yeah, and I mean, at some point, you know, as, as good as the automation gets, it's it's never a bad thing to have a set of eyeballs on it, a skilled set of eyeballs. Just give it that one last look, especially when you're consuming raw materials that you know, can be pretty expensive. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. And in mailing, I think one of the things that, that people that don't know mailing often forget is, if you get it wrong in a print job, you print the job again. You got raw materials, you got some labor costs. You get it wrong in postage, you yep. got to pay for that postage again. That can be tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars in postage costs. Yep, big risks. We got a lot of QC processes that revolve around the data processing, the variable, the variable data print, uh, as well as the output of those those jobs. It's high dollar amounts. We do a lot of casino work, and there's a lot of risk there. Mm. Well, you know, the casino always wins, right? They always do. <laughs> so getting back to the investments. So you, you've made some surprising, you know, some investments that really surprised you. What was the one that you thought was going to be bigger than it really was? You know, you, you made an investment and it just, yeah, it's, it's okay, but not what you thought it could be. Yeah, I think uh, we got into wide format a few years back, uh, probably six years ago. And we do it well, but we do it at a boutique level. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got good customers, but we tend to outsource it. And one of the real reasons I think that it hasn't taken off for us is it takes up a lot of space. Yeah. And, and here in Pittsburgh, we've got lots of hills and not, <laughs> not a lot of big warehouse facilities. You know, we're operating out of 95,000 square foot here and we're out of space. So if we were to get 
uh, bigger in wide format, uh, we probably have to do it through acquisition because our facilities just won't hold the amount of um, kitting and printing that would that would need to happen for some of our customers. Yeah, I think that's the the thing that people don't think about with wide format. It's not just hey, put ink on substrate, you're done. It's all of the finishing. It's the stitching that has to go on afterwards for the banners and the grommets that have to be placed and the and 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 the frames that need to be built. And it seems to be a a never ending scope. And and the people that do it well, and that's their focus of the business invest, as you say, in the, in the facilities to do that. But um, it, it's interesting that, you know, for you, that's been an area that's, it's sort of made sense, but not the, not the growth. Um, so where is the, where is the growth for heater over the next five years? Yeah, it's definitely in, in delivering um, highly personalized communication. You know, we like to do a lot of automation. So we like to integrate with our customers. Uh, we just bought a, an eight color uh, perfecting press so obviously offset is not dead. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're going to get further, further, further into the inkjet uh, technologies that are coming out over the next, you know, year, year and a half. So our growth is certainly with Fortune 500 customers that need technology to create streamlined solutions. Right. Um, we like to integrate with our customers and, and if we can't offer value, it's probably not a good opportunity for us. So in, in that, you sort of become an extension of the customer's marketing department, don't you? You sort of become integrated into their entire world. Yeah, our focus is, is becoming that marketing operations arm um, where our folks, we, you know, we've got a couple customers where, where we have employees on site, obviously not, uh, not now because of COVID, but we have folks that are, very qualified to lead our customers down the right path uh, with regards to our customers' work. Excellent. We know it best, and they they understand that. Um, so we offer a lot of value there. Yeah, and I think it's as much the concept and exchange of ideas. Hey, we'd like to touch this audience. Here's what we're thinking, and you can bring you know a level of experience and execution that says, "Yeah, we, we've tried this before." Here's where we've seen success. Here's where we haven't, and and really become that that advisor to your customers, not just a, a manufacturing facility. Absolutely. As you think about it, um, how important are the the people in your business to the growth strategy? Uh, people are, you know, I would say eighty percent of our business uh, relies on the people that we have and the talent uh, that they bring to the table. Um, so people are the primary driver of what we do and, and how we interact and, and how we get uh, income from our customers. It's yeah. the driver. It's not just the technology. It's not certainly not just the equipment. Uh, it's the people. Yeah. It's, it's the people and the relationships that, that you've, you've built over the years. And, and I think uh, if I look at uh, heater, there's quite a few people with some, some serious long tenure there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've got quite a few people that have over 30 years. Um, yeah. Um, one of our, our, the fellow that runs our fulfillment and mailing has, he just had his 28th anniversary. 28. And yeah. And the cool thing is, is that a lot of these folks, uh, they took to the technology, uh, they didn't fight it. So it's, it's pretty good to, uh, have a, a staff that, um, understands what a system can do for them versus protect what they've always done. 
because there's, you know, there's a lot of that that goes on. People are afraid of what tomorrow will bring. And, and I've always said, you figure this out, you make it more streamlined. I'll find something else for you to do. Yeah, absolutely. They're showing the, the value that they bring to the business. So you brought it up, you put it on the table, COVID. Um, yeah. Not the year that anyone could have predicted. Um, I think, you, you know me, I, I typically spend 30 plus weeks a year on the road. Uh, last year was insane. Uh, I landed from Brazil on the 1st of March and I was grounded for the basically a year. And it, it feels kind of odd to get back on the road, but, but somewhat normal again. Um, and it'll get there. How have your employees adjusted to working through COVID and, and how many are, are actually still working remotely? You know, our technology folks are still able to work remotely, but all along, we probably had 80% of our employees still here in the office. You know, since we do manufacturing, the machines don't run themselves. <laughs> yep. And, you know, customer service folks were here two to three days a week, uh, but job tickets don't don't magically float onto the job floor and, <laughs> and we need people to be involved. So it was very difficult. Um, we are obviously recovering from it. We, uh, we did well with regards to um, shutting down. We, we didn't really shut down at all. Uh, we stayed busy as we could. Uh, but now I think we're starting to see some of the fruits of the processes that we put in place to keep people safe, uh, keep people employed for sure. Uh, and now people are coming back into the office. I think the, the other day our parking lot was full. I couldn't find a spot. So it's a good day. That's a good, it's a good day. day. It's a good day. Excellent. So here's the interesting thing. Um, I hear lots of people talking about, uh, you know, and, and more in the tech sector. I mean, we're a physical manufacturing business, so there's always going to be people in the facility, as you said. But did it give you a view that maybe in the future there could be potentially more remote employees than you have today? You know, I'm not a fan of that. I think uh, I think you lose a lot of interaction, quite honestly. Um, I think there's a lot of value people seeing each other face to face and collaborating. And there's a lot of tools out there that work, but it's not the same. Um, it's not the same when people, you know, have lunch together or go out of, you know, go out after work. Uh, we've got a really nice facility here in Pittsburgh, and I think there's a, you know, not walking around the office park at lunchtime doesn't build a, a good work environment and make people happy. You know, staying at home, seeing there's those four walls all the time, you know, the aggravation of the dogs barking in the background, <laughs> muting, unmute. Just imagine all the time that we've wasted when people say, can you hear me or can you see my screen? Um so I, I like people in the office. Uh, logically, uh, there are people that don't have to interact so much with others, um, but um, I'm not a fan of, in, in our industry, I'm not a fan of a manufacturing environment uh, promoting work from home. Yeah. Uh, you know what, Kirk, I'm, I'm actually with you. I think that, um, that, that human interaction, even if it's just a passing conversation in a hallway that, that builds those relationships, it's a, it's a relationship and a trust. And it doesn't matter how long you, you know, work with someone that, that relationship, that trust is, is still there. But the, the little things, I mean, I can't tell you how many times since I've come back into the office, I'll have someone come by my desk and, and with the, Hey, while I see you now, that mm -hmm. conversation wouldn't have happened if I was working remotely and some somewhat important piece of information wouldn't have been passed. So I, I like the idea of, of 
being with people. The, I guess for you, the technology is about enabling the flexibility for people that are two days a week or three days a week or your salespeople are on the road um, or the people that have personal circumstances where they want to be able to work from home. You've really enabled that through technology. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, they they can do their job from home, certainly. Uh, they do miss the interaction, but it, it works out well. I never thought that we'd be able to have customer service folks, you know, working three days remote and two days on site, but it worked out well. Uh, we still do it. There's a lot of uh, a lot of things that happened over the last year that has made the business stronger. I think, you know, getting leaner with regards to processes, making sure the automation works as it should, uh, and then allowing folks to be at home, log in to check on something. Yeah. I think that's really uh, going to help us out in the future. So one thing I was always impressed with when I met you was something that I've always found in the printing industry. Printers generally, if I buy a big piece of equipment, I can justify a big dollar spend because I can see it. It's physical. It's huge. Clearly, it's worth a lot of money. You've not shied away from software investments of significant value as, a, as an enabler of the business. Is that going to continue? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're, we're buying new servers right now and, you know, it's six figure dollar amounts. It all, it all goes back to the technology and the process. And if our technology becomes stagnant, then we will eventually run into problems and those problems will be seen by our customers for sure. Yeah. Uh, And that's the last thing that we want to have happen. You know, one of the great things that, that we, rely on from our our business partners is creating patches to software and you know routine software updates there's a lot of companies out there that don't follow that process of allowing patches to be installed and software updates and eventually five years down the road their solutions are no longer supported by that software manufacturer yep so you got to stay on top of it and and we've always stayed on top of it we've done a really good job and it's hard to justify it, but, you know, we don't have some of those traditional issues that you would see uh, where your software solution is uh, no longer supported. You can't get a bug resolved and the customer then sees it. Yeah. You know, th- their data screwed up or uh, there's a lag time that shouldn't be there uh, in the communication. You got to just consider the business expense, the cost of doing business, the cost of being in this day and age of the print industry. And uh, you don't have to like it. You just got to protect the business. <laughs> yeah, and having lived it, learned it, you're willing to invest to avoid it. So um, right. it, it sounds like uh, you're making the right steps to ensure that, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years from now, heat is still pumping out good quality work. Right. Well, Kirk, um, this has been a really fascinating chat for me. I really enjoy the chat. And thank you, especially for for taking the time to meet with me. And uh, thanks for everybody tuning in. And please tune in every week. We'd love to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Kirk for joining us today on the Imaging of Things. I learned a lot of great stuff today. And hopefully our listeners had some great takeaways too. I want to leave you all with a little fact that I found interesting. The Incredible Hulk's green skin color is actually a result of a printing mistake. Initially, Stan Lee gave Hulk a gray skin to portray him as a monster that he was. However, during printing, there were problems with the gray coloring. Each copy resulted in a different hued Hulk. 
with some being green. When this fell to the eyes of Stan Lee, he noticed that green suited Hulk better than grey, thus the colour of the green monster that we all love. And with that, thanks for listening, and don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I'm Nick Benkovich, and thanks again for listening to The Imaging of Things. Thank you.